Hello, welcome to the Biological Woman's Hour podcast. My name is Kelly J. Today I'm talking to Kira Bell. Uh, she really needs no introduction, but just in case you haven't heard of this very courageous young woman, uh, she took the Tavistock uh, to judicial review to try and stop the irreversible harm that is transitioning children. Uh, it's said that it takes a village to raise a child, well, it takes an army to raise a warrior. And to my army of listeners and viewers, uh, let me introduce your warrior, Kira Bell. Hello, how are you? Hi, I'm doing good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. I'm so delighted to meet you, Kira. Oh yeah, no, me too. I'm, I'm really, I have a lot of respect for everything you've been doing over the years. So yeah, no, it's, it's great to speak to you. Oh, bloody hero, bloody hero. Um, Kirabelle, welcome to my podcast. It is brand newly named Biological Woman's Hour. And so you are my first guest, so welcome. Thank you so much, I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad to be uh, here speaking with you. Well, uh, you are somewhat of a global icon in the movement now. You, um, how, how does that feel sort of to, to be on the tip of everybody's tongue constantly. Yeah, it, it definitely uh, feels weird in, in that aspect, uh, just because I'm I'm not used to the spotlight in any sense. Uh, you know, I'm very I very much keep to myself and a uh, small social circle and all of that. So to be kind of put out into the public sphere suddenly and everyone knows my story. Um, but yeah, everyone's been super supportive. Um, so yeah, I, I can only be thankful and, and grateful that it's worked out like it has, and um, yeah, that I've gotten the chance to share my story and the problems, uh, you know, with the system at the moment, the gender care system. So, for people that don't know you, which I would be doubtful if there are anybody uh, is anybody that actually watches anything I ever do who doesn't know who you are, but you uh, transitioned and you went through the Tavistock, and then you detransitioned. And uh, as opposed to just quietly walking away, uh, you've decided that you don't want this harm to go unchecked. Um, can I just, can I ask you some stuff about your transition and about your motivations? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Okay, so when did you first feel comfortable or more comfortable identifying as a boy? What sort of age do you think you were? Uh, yeah, this would be about 14. I mean, I've always been very um, outside of the stereotypical box from a very young age, from about the age of five. And maybe something was going on there, but I, I never um, vocalised it or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, the, the real feelings didn't creep in until about 14, yeah. And do you think there were any any defining moments or were there any conversations or anything that you witnessed or space that you occupied that sort of made you think that this was the good the, a good route or of escape for you um I do remember having a very brief uh or my, my mother she actually came to me and kind of asked the question because uh, she noticed I was very masculine and that I'd never like grown out of it as you know young girls are expected to young tomboys um and so yeah she just asked me oh um are you a lesbian um and i i denied that and she, then she asked if i wanted to be a boy um and i was figuring out my sexuality already trying to figure that out and struggling with it um so yeah those questions kind of caught me by surprise but i think in the back of my mind um 
something it got the cogs turning or whatever and um I thought I, I was so uncomfortable at the time and so when that possibility was presented to me I you know it made sense and I went for it um because I, I did a bit of research online and found that other people were starting to do it, it was, this was you know almost a decade ago now mm. um and so the environment online was very different but um uh but yeah it, it made sense and so I I went I went through the process mm. I mean there there is a uh natural conversation that I think a lot of us have on this side of the debate that um obviously lesbianism is a, is a very difficult path for young women at the moment but um that's not the only women that are transitioning obviously but in your case just as an armchair psychologist, it sounded like the two options put in front of you were lesbian or man, and you decided that being a male was the easier path for you. Yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. Um, yeah, I can definitely see that that's what's happened now that I can look in, in hindsight. Um, and yeah, I was, I, was, I was so uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable with my body and... Um, just just me myself and then thinking about sexual relationships with you know girls at the time that it, it made me so uncomfortable to the point where yeah just I, I suppose really any any other option would be preferable um and you know you, you don't know what it's like until you actually um get a taste of that of transition and and then you realize that oh it's not all it's cracked up to be and it's not it's not fulfilling yeah where do you think the fear of of being a lesbian could have come from or do you do you think it's just quite normal because we do live in the society in which we live or do you think there are actual kind of really overt attitudes that make uh, young women feel like that yeah i mean it's difficult because i'm sure it's kind of changed over time but i think in general um it's always a negative uh, there's always a negative association with even the term lesbian mm. um, and whatever comes with that. Um, so yeah, I definitely think it is a general attitude, but there are also things like lack of role models. And yeah, you do hear the, or at least I did when I was in school, there was a lot of jokes about it and a lot of pointing the finger and a lot of uh, disgust and well, uh, a lot of negative feelings. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't really blame myself for for not wanting to to be in that label or or um, live that lifestyle or, um, yeah. So, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, um, don't blame myself for for being in that position. Well, no, well, of course you're like fourteen, um, and and we owe young women like you to give you role models. Society owes you. Um, you know it's we can't be blaming children uh, yeah. do you ever have moments where you um where you do blame yourself do you feel that you do you feel any um responsibility is the wrong word because i i want to tell you that i don't feel you're responsible at all i just wonder if you have to wrestle with that yourself um yeah in some ways i, I think it's it's very difficult because yeah that that I, I suppose that more um yeah one one side of my brain is thinking yeah well you've you, you have done this to yourself um but then i, I realized how vulnerable and i put myself in 
I tried to put myself in that mindset that I was in when I was 14, 16, and it was a, I was in a terrible place. And I don't think anyone would make any rational decisions uh, being in that mindset. No. Um, I was severely depressed and anxious. Um, and yeah, I was, I was struggling with everything in my life and, and my development. Um, yeah, there was, there were so many issues. Um, even things uh, like PCOS, I was, I was struggling with, uh, how I was developing in that sense. Um, yeah, the, the list goes on really and, and home life and, and everything. So when I, when I think, when I think about all of that, it makes me realize, yeah, that I was in no, no frame of mind to be making decisions like that. Yeah. And when you when you came to the um, understanding that you would be better being male, uh, how how quickly would do you think you fell into the mindset that people probably could not have changed your mind at that point? Uh, sorry, say that again. How how convinced? So how quickly did it become a really firm belief, something that you really held on very tight? Uh, as in, I guess my question really is, if somebody a couple of months down the line had given you really good therapy and care, do you think you could, your mind could have been changed? Yeah, it's really hard to say. I think more than anything, if um, that possibility wasn't presented to me at all, you know, the, the, the possibility that you can go on to the medical pathway in your teens if that wasn't even possible and then I had therapy yeah I think I think definitely um if if it was still the same same situation and I had a therapist I'm, I'm not sure I, I really I've thought about that a lot and it's, it's really difficult to say um I would say that very early on uh from the moment that I decided to socially transition and I did that on my own I didn't tell my family or anything um I just kind of let my friends know and they gradually accepted it um I'd say from that moment it was kind of solidified in my mind um I, I always say when you're a teenager you just don't let go of certain ideas especially if you feel like that's what's going to make you you better so um yeah I, I was very adamant um but I I don't know I really don't know whether it, my mind would have been changed yeah I mean talking to you you're so um and all the interviews that you've done you're so articulate and you sound um, intelligent and rational and reasonable. I think that only speaks uh, to the argument that 14 year olds really aren't because you haven't, you're not a different person. You're just a lot older. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and I mean, I didn't start with um, medical transition until I was 16. That was, that was when I went on to the puberty blockers, just for clarification there. But um, but yeah, even so, I was, I was still stuck. And I was pretty much in the exact same frame of mind within those two years. And then the puberty blockers, that kind of puts you in another sort of mind frame. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so let's skip right through quite quickly through your uh, the transition process at the Tavistock because I know you've talked about it so many times um, and so I don't want to have to ask you to repeat yourself but from your first appointment then um, tell tell people watching what is it like do you you see counsellors they talk to you for a bit and then you have how many appointments like how, what does that look like when you go to the Tavistock 
Yeah, I mean, I, throughout my um, care there, um, I was seen by a social worker the whole time. So it wasn't even a counsellor or a psychologist or a psychiatrist. It, it was a social worker. And um, yeah, I, I don't remember my exact first appointment because uh, it was so long ago. But mm. um, I do remember over that that time where, where I was speaking to the social worker that it was just it was just very on the surface questions um about uh, gender roles basically that that was the focus of all of the um discussion and uh who i prefer to play with what my hobbies were how i preferred to dress um was i attracted to women or, or or men um and that that was as far as it went and and basic family history or recent family history um and yeah just just no, no exploration whatsoever it was very on the surface when you look back at, at that when you talk about that I mean that's staggering right can you get can you get your head around the fact that somebody that a medical profession allowed you to do that on the basis of a discussion sort of like gender roles and who you play with and so on yeah isn't it it's angering as well because uh, that could apply to so many, and it does apply to so many girls. Uh, uh, my the answers that I gave to to the questions and um, just being a tomboy like that that's pretty much what it was. And I was just struggling with my sexuality, and for whatever reason, that's considered um, a problem. And um, yeah, you're just put on the medical pathway. And um, I was I was put on the blockers after my I was given the prescription after my fourth appointment um and so yeah that that speaks for itself really and uh often the lobby groups who are very pro uh transing kids talk about suicide ideation do you think that's something that um it's almost like people are told it's a symptom or did that manifest for you or do you do you think it's sort of um it's propaganda oh i definitely think it's propaganda i mean i was feeling uh depressed and suicidal before i went on the hormones and i think teenagers generally especially in this internet age a lot of us are feeling really down and depressed and perhaps suicidal um so yeah it also angers me that they're weaponizing suicide and um trying to turn it around and make it seem that um if you don't get access to these these blockers or these hormones uh kids are going to kill themselves and i've noticed it's also coming from older men who have transitioned all of this talk is coming from them and so um it's a very different demographic that that's going through the tavistock at the moment and so i think they should should speak on their experience only and kind of leave us be um and leave it to the rational people to actually get proper help for us um and so yeah that, that's where i'm at with it so then fast forward and you um had surgery um that they euphemistically called top surgery uh, how how easy was it to access that surgery and did that get done did you pay for that or was that nhs that was through the nhs um that was by the time I was referred to the adult clinic, right? I got it through the adult clinic. Um, and that was after two appointments. So there's even less uh, barriers there when you're 
up to the adult clinic, even if you're 17, 18, as long as you're in the adult clinic, it seems that the, the care drops even further, care levels. So um, yeah, I just had two one hour appointments. Again, just kind of, it was more of an update than anything. They would just kind of sit me down like, yeah, okay, so where are you at? Are you still wanting surgery? And um, also by that point, I'd been binding for a long time. And so it was super uncomfortable and, and frustrating to have to wear that every day, or I felt I had to wear that every day. Um, and so there was a lot pushing me to get it as soon as possible. And so I guess what I'm trying to say, I'm, I'm trying to emphasize that there is a pathway there and, and once you're on it it's hard to get off because you're already going through all these changes and already wearing the binder for so long of course uh, surgery um, or being without surgery seemed like seemed like a terrible idea yeah did anyone at any point um, whether it was a sort of surgical consultation or did anyone ask you if this really was the right idea uh, no, not at all. Um, yeah, I didn't receive any pushback whatsoever. Um, I think it was kind of viewed um, I, because I'd been on the pathway for, uh, well, by the time I got surgery, I'd been on the pathway for at least um, for four plus years, um, even more if you want to include social transition. So they would look at that and be like, okay, this person's persisting. It's obvious that there's no, there's no doubt here, this and that. They felt very confident because I was confident as a teenager mm -hmm. saying, I want this. And so, yeah, there was never any pushback. Yeah. God, that's devastating. Um, so that's all the bad stuff. We'll push that, that's over there. Yeah. Um, and now you've come to be a warrior how did it how did it happen not only did you um so let's talk about the detransition bit what made you sort of come to the conclusion that this was no longer something that you wanted to be doing yeah um I'd say the first doubts kind of started to creep in a year after my surgery the first serious doubts um and I just started to realize that I was still in the same position. Um, I didn't want to go through with um, genital reconstruction or whatever you want to call it, because um, I wasn't happy with the results basically um, that were out there. Um, and so I was realizing that I was stuck in this limbo um, and I was still quite depressed and anxious. Um, and I was, I was, I felt like I was back at square one, basically, in a, in a weird sense. Um, and um, I was seeing a lot of what was going on politically as well. Um, t the TRA active activity kind of was bumping up and a lot of, I saw a lot of craziness. I was kind of new to it all because um, I'd been in my own kind of little bubble, um, my own personal bubble, just going to work or going to um uni or whatever and just getting on with my, with my life and so when I'd see all this craziness online it was completely new to me and it, I guess that kind of helped me think more critically as well um, and um, yeah I just started to wonder what, I'd be, uh, what I was a part of basically whether I wanted to or not that I was a part of that community and um, a lot of the views um, I started to notice that a lot of the views in that community were kind of skewed and um 
and yeah, I just kind of wanted to pull myself away from it a bit. And once I started to do that, I started to notice the cracks in my own thinking as well as the ideology. Um, and um, I remember seeing the adult human female campaign as well a bit a bit later on, and just seeing that, uh, especially with what I'd already been thinking about um, in the recent past, I um, I think seeing that statement adult human female and knowing that that applied to me and that that's all that mattered and I didn't need to have any labels attached to it or anything like that I think something just something gradually switched in my brain and um and I decided to detransition uh, pretty much on the spot especially with all the uh, medical problems I was experiencing and how doctors didn't know what to do about them and I was just fed up just fed up in, in general and um, I just wanted to be as, as real as possible. And um, so, yeah, I, I pretty much on the spot decided to detransition and didn't go into my next uh, injection appointment. So how old were you then? Uh, so I was 22. Wow. Yeah, so a couple, couple years ago now, yeah. I mean, that's so incredibly brave uh, to admit that you might have it wrong. Uh, it's it's something that not many people ever do in their entire lives for far less kind of severe um, or serious things that they've done. Um, it's just, do you recognize that about yourself that that was just a, 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 an incredible thing to do? Um, I, I don't think I, I've really seen it in that way. No, not so much just because um, when I feel that something's wrong, I, I won't go through with it anymore. And that, that was that. Um, I wasn't particularly worried about people's opinions or, or anything like that. Um, like I say, I was just so fed up by that point and um, realizing that my, uh, the lifestyle I was living was just based on, on, on nothing. It wasn't based on the truth. Um, and so, yeah, as soon as I realized that I wasn't, I wasn't for it anymore. Yeah. God, that's amazing. Um, Abigail Schreier in her book talks about the euphoric feeling that testosterone gives, which is sometimes a barrier to people um, facing what you did. Uh, is that right? Does it make you feel sort of invincible? Does it cure your depression somewhat? Yeah, I would say so. Um, you definitely get a big confidence boost um especially if you're you know say in the beginning stages where you you've socially transitioned but you still set you you look and for all intents and purposes you're um you're still a, still a woman or, or still being perceived as a woman and um once you yeah once you take the testosterone and and uh, the visible changes start to happen and your voice lowers i think that tends to give us a big confidence boost and yeah, it puts a bandaid on, on all of your problems for a little while until you realize that it, it hasn't fixed anything, mm. at least in my experience. Yeah. Mm. So what are some of the things, um, so you mentioned, and I, I don't want to delve into anything too personal, but uh, what would be some of the side effects that are pretty routine that people don't really talk about? Because you can't, I, I can't imagine that you can take something like testosterone on a female body. And obviously some of the changes that happen are ones that, that that's the reason people take testosterone. Um, but are there other things that 
that bring that transition brings that that people just are dishonest about yeah i would say the most important one would be uh vaginal atrophy and i am comfortable and willing to speak openly about that just because it's such a big problem and it's not talked about i remember um experiencing or, or noticing the symptoms for the first time and trying to find information about it and there was just nothing at all and the doctors were horrified and they didn't know what to do the general doctors um and yeah it was really isolating feeling just just no one knew what to do no one had really talked about it um so yeah i'd say that's the scariest one especially that's not that's not talked about yeah mm. And is it really painful then? Is that, is that, I really am not, um, but I, I understand no. it's painful. Yes. Yeah. Very painful and sore and um, yeah, it affects if you, if you're, especially if you're in a relationship and things like that, it's just, it's not going to, it's not going to be a good situation for anyone. Um, and that's what annoys me even more regarding um, pediatric transition is because a lot of these kids also haven't had sexual relationships mm. and they don't they don't know how badly these hormones are going to um, affect your life negatively affect your life so um yeah that that sort of thing needs to be talked about more yeah so you detransition and um and then you decide that it's it's not quite enough just to uh, detransition you want to stop other girls going through the same uh, what made you what sort of inspired you to do that to make that choice um, and how did you go about it uh, yeah so in the beginning when I first detransitioned I saw the extent of the situation and I knew I wanted to do something as, as much as I could um, I do remember um, excuse me I think there was a uh, like a Twitter detrans group and uh, just uh, informal support group mm. us all chatting and uh, supporting each other and uh, there were a few kind of posts out going um, or journalists wanting to uh, speak to detransitioners uh, they'd seen the growing population of detransitioners and every time I would always uh, speak up and want uh, I would I would offer to be interviewed and um that led to Sue Evans, who initially started the case, uh, to get in contact with me because I think she had wanted to be, she wanted to speak to detransitioners anyway, um, and she was, she wanted to reach out and help and help out. So um, I got speaking to her, and for personal reasons, she couldn't take the case on anymore, and so I, I jumped at the opportunity and said, and I, I thought I'd be in a great position to um, take the case forward as well. And um, I, I didn't think at the time that it would turn into what it has or that it would be as, as known, the case would be as known as, as it is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been, I'm, I'm really grateful to have been able to take the case and, and share my story, yeah. Yeah, must be, um, you must have seen your name in headlines in loads of different languages as well. Oh yeah, yeah, a couple of different ones. Uh, I know uh, out in Spain, they've they've got a lot of articles published, and um, I think possibly a couple in Germany. So yeah, no, it's great. I'm I'm so thankful that it's it's getting the reach it has as well. Um, the more the better. The more awareness, the better. And um, I hope that only keeps increasing because uh, 
there's still a lot of people like day to day that don't have any idea about it or they might have seen a couple of things on the news but they think it doesn't relate to them until yeah. I don't know they have a daughter or something and then suddenly they're thrown into it so um yeah no I'm I'm really eager to spread more awareness yeah did you ever imagine that you'd literally change the world <laughs> no no not at all I mean um I guess they've got this appeal coming now so uh we'll see how that goes but um no I'm I'm super thankful um that I've been able to make the change that I have uh with uh our team uh they've been they've been great Sue's Sue's been amazing um I'm so thankful to her for starting the case uh Mrs A and all all of our all of the people in our legal team they've been working tirelessly yeah mm. um I think with uh, with your case, I, I don't even know if it matters if if the Tavistock now win on the appeal because uh, it it's broken. The silence around this is totally broken with your case. Yeah, yeah, um, and I can only hope that more uh, detransitioners in the UK start to speak up. Um, I know we're a smaller country, so there's um, going to be less detransitioners over here. But I know they're out there and um, I've definitely seen them around on, on social media. So um, I, I definitely don't feel like they need to be pressured to speak out. But um, it would be amazing if they did, um, just because I know I, I can only do so much with, with my story. Um, but I know it's inevitable that more stories will come out and um, hopefully that will push things further into getting better care for these kids. Yeah. So you attended the court um, for the judicial review. How did you feel about the Tavistock's defence? Oh, I, I thought it was in it was in shambles. Really, um, they didn't have any data to back up the points they were making, and um, yeah, it seemed like a lot of pointing the finger at different different parts and different sects of the. Um, of the institution, you know, I think the Tavistock were pointing their finger at the UCLH, uh, the UCLH were pointing the finger at the kids, and um, yeah, it was, it was, um, it, it wasn't strong, it wasn't a strong case from them at all, um, and so I don't know how this appeal is going to go, if, if they don't have the evidence, how are they going to argue their point, and yeah, that's something I'm thinking about right now. <laughs> I mean, it would be weird if they could suddenly produce evidence that um, it is okay for under 16s to make life altering decisions. It's such a, it's such a peculiar thing to fight. It's, it's such bad PR that they are insisting that they really do want to um, alter these kids' bodies. Um, how has that gone down with your team? Are they confident that uh, the Tavistock really can't, don't have an appeal to um, offer? Um, I don't want to speak for them too much because uh, also we are in the early days, so I haven't really been able to okay. congregate with everyone and, and speak too much on it. Um, but yeah, just, we're just all keeping our heads down and trying to um, make our case even stronger. And uh, that's what that's what we're going to focus on, because um, we know that morally we're in the right here. Mm. And um, that's that's what we have to worry about. Mm. Of course, in, a, in the United States, um, 
they sort of have supercharged uh, children transitioning and um, young women are allowed to have double mastectomies at, well, teenage girls are allowed to have uh, double mastectomies. I, I think uh, the United States is going to need its its Kirabel. Do you have any connections with any detransitioners in the US? Do you think there's an appetite for any of them to maybe sue? Yeah, um, I am in talks with a few American detransitioners, um, but they've got such a big task at hand if, if they if they're wanting to do that, just because you know you have federal state uh, federal law and state law. And it's, it's such a big country. I, I don't know how things are going to change over there. I have no idea. I think, to be honest, as far as the law goes, I think they, they all feel quite hopeless at the moment. Um, but, but who knows? Uh, someone might pop up and, and change things. I really hope so. Um, but I think if it is going to be tackled, I think it will have to be a bit by bit sort of thing and will take a long time, mm. unfortunately. I'd like to see a massive class action, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good idea. Yeah, I think they should. I mean, especially, like you said, uh, young teens getting double mastectomies and, and hormones. There's um, absolutely no standards there whatsoever. Um, it's terrible, yeah. Mm. Your friends that supported you, I'm guessing, through transition, um, did, you, did, did you remain friends? Are there some, you know, do you, are there... How do they feel about you detransitioning? Yeah, I mean, um, it's uh, I mean, lockdown happened pretty pretty quickly. It seemed after I joined the case and everything, and after I um, kind of went public with my detransition. So I haven't really been able to talk in depth with too many people um, that knew me or um, yeah knew me throughout my transition. Um, but everyone generally seems uh, really supportive. Um, I know a lot of the friends that I've made uh, didn't know me before transition, and so it's a bit of a shock to them. Right. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I don't actually know, uh, but I know generally they've been very supportive. Um, and, uh, yeah, people are slowly starting to wake up um, regarding the context behind it. It's not just me care about detransitioning this is happening on a large scale and it's gonna continue happening because uh because of the low standards at the Tavistock and in the gender care system in, in general yeah mm. and of course uh there are still private uh companies operating anyway that are dishing out they're finding yeah. loopholes in the law uh do you think that the UK will close those loopholes or do you think everyone's quite happy just to shirk the responsibility onto private? I think I think that's probably what's going to happen yeah um, especially uh, kind of from the 17 18 age range and above I think yeah there's this attitude um, at least in this country where as soon as you're 18 at the turn of midnight suddenly you're an adult and your your brain's fully all there and you can make all these decisions i think it's um it's a bit worrying actually because i know that still at that age you're still developing in a lot of ways and you're still trying to figure yourself out and um regardless uh, a lot of people that are going through transition do have a lot of comorbidities and so surely that should be getting looked at no matter the age you're at um i don't understand why the the care levels have to drop once you reach um 
the legal age uh, that you become an adult. Yeah. Mm. Um, you mentioned that uh, you're quite angry with um, the way that you were treated by the Tavistock. Uh, would you ever sit in a room with the powers that be in the Tavistock and tell them exactly uh, what they did wrong? Would you like that opportunity? Um, I'm not sure. Um, I think the perhaps the personality types of at least a few a uh, few of the people working there. I don't feel like my my words would would get through it all. I think they they firmly believe they're in the right. Um, I don't know why. I don't know if that's just their them personally or if it's the uh, the influences behind them regarding lobby groups and and all of those people. Um, but yeah, I don't think it would be fulfilling for me in any way if I, if I sat in a room with them. Um, maybe that would change in the future, but yeah, right now that doesn't that doesn't interest me at all. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned uh, language and very graciously pointed out to pointed my campaign uh, or talked about my campaign, and you you also mentioned that obviously. Uh, when your mum talked to you, she mentioned trans. Do you think, and, and you said that actually, if there wasn't any such thing as a trans pathway, you wouldn't have had one. Uh, how do you think we can unravel that? Like, what do you think that we ought to just pull all of this nonsense out of schools? Like, how do we be to, uh, begin to untangle this sort of stuff? Yeah, I definitely think it starts with, um yeah pulling pulling things out of schools because that is where it's starting at the moment i definitely think there needs to be um some sort of uh some sort of uh, not necessarily a regulation but the attitudes online need to change there needs to be um less influences uh, online on youtube for example um you don't see people um, advocating for liposuction for those that are anorexic and so I think that would be very much frowned upon and so I think it needs to be seen in the same light with these uh, quote-unquote influencers that are um, you know parading around with um, double mastectomies and saying how great it is and, and this and that so I think it's just a lot of the attitudes need to change um, and so I do hope that the case the, the case I'm taking helps uh, with that um, uh, but yeah, I would I would say that that in schools, um, I don't have all the answers because I'm again I'm just I'm just Kira just um, just speaking on my experience. But mm -hmm. um, it, it's something that I need to look more into and and yeah, hopefully help in making a change regarding prevention as well. Yeah. Mm. Unfortunately for you, now that you've done this case and you are who you are. Uh, you are going to be, uh, I think people are going to make demands of you, of you that you become, yeah. that you are an expert. Yeah, yeah. Um, unavoidable. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. But that's okay. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to take at least uh, some of the challenges. I definitely always want to be helping out and um, contributing as much as I can regarding getting these changes and, and helping mm. children. Like, of course, I, I didn't take this case and think, uh, or at least once I realised how big the case was, I didn't, I wasn't under any impression that that would be it. Um, there's definitely a lot more work to do. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you mentioned the influencers, and uh, they do, they have hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of of followers. Uh, 
you're not allowed to promote anorexia online on YouTube or Instagram. It's really, it's quite peculiar that you put the magic word of trans in front of something and uh, it just isn't, it's not held up to the same standards as anything else. I know, yeah. Um, it seems, yeah, that, that's exactly it. Once that word is said, people are scared of it. There's some people just don't want to have anything to do with it. They, um, you know, they'll just let people run run free and, and whatever they want to do and uh, they have the last word and, and that's that, uh, which is really sad. And um, yeah, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I think similar to anorexia, how that can't be promoted online, hopefully those changes are made where um, trans can't be, transition can't be promoted online. That would, that would be brilliant. And I think that would um, save a lot of, of young women specifically, yeah. Yeah. Um, I always think about uh, specifically the, the teenage girls that socially transition um, and then go on, well, no longer go on to transition uh, as teenagers, uh, that they must really worry about people knowing that they're not boys. Did you have, was that a layer of anxiety that you always worried that maybe somebody would know that you weren't actually a boy? Oh yeah, I definitely had a lot of that. Um, I mean, I, well, especially in the beginning, but I would say as time went on, I was just, just coasting, just getting on with life. Um, the, you know, no one bat an eyelid. It, it was absolutely fine. But I guess the worry creeped in when I would start to make friends and people would become close. And there is this element of, um, yeah, you feel like you're lying to people if, um, not so much day to day if I'm just uh, people are passing but yeah once I start to make friends with people and I don't tell them it feels like I'm deceiving them mm. um, and so yeah that was that was a big worry and uh, it definitely that definitely also contributed to my detransition because I, I didn't want to feel like I was lying to, to my friends and partners and whoever so um, yeah, that was definitely a big worry for me, but I, I don't know if it's as much these days, like in, in the past five odd years, because it seems that suddenly now trans is celebrated rather than something that you do and you just get on with. Um, now it's, you know, you're out and proud to be trans and, um, yeah, so I, I think it's, I think it's very different now. It's, it's a very different environment. Mm. Well, you've um, you've certainly made the the whole thing uh, very much out in the open, and I um, I think it's impossible for people now to pretend that they didn't know there was any such thing as a detransitioner. It's become part of the lexicon. Uh, what is next for you? Oh um, well, I, I am planning on starting a, a website soon um i'm still kind of in the brainstorming stages of that just figuring trying to solidify my plan and uh make sure that it's um actually gonna benefit people um and that will just kind of be my hub for everything that i'm that i'm doing um and so yeah that's in the beginning stages um i obviously want to continue with uh raising awareness which which comes into that obviously um and uh, yeah, hopefully in, in, uh, in the near future, I'll be able to just get on with my life as usual and I can kind of put it behind me to a large extent. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, but it depends on um, 
how things go and and what stage we're at as a society and with the Tavistock, et cetera, et cetera. So um, there's still a lot of uncertainty regarding what I'm doing next um, on, on a large scale, but I have certain projects and uh, see see where they go. Mm. Have you had time to read all the messages, emails, letters, comments that people have made? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I read a lot of them. And yeah, so supportive. Everyone's been so lovely. I've had cards and gifts sent to me and flowers and uh, so many supportive messages online. So yeah, I love you all. Love you all. <laughs> <laughs> I must say, I think I just, I got load, loads of messages uh, the day that uh, the result came out and people were just people like I've been crying all day it's just the most amazing news I think you gave people like a, a big flash of light when they were feeling really quite dark with the Maya Forstater case and then obviously the Kate Scotto case got overturned so uh but yours you know we can I've I've said all along that it's going to be awful if there's men in my toilets. It's going to be horrible if men dominate women's sports. But actually, the the damage that we're doing to children's bodies is by far the greatest harm that cannot be undone once done. And so on behalf of everybody, thank you so very much, Kira. You really have changed the world and made it a much better place. Oh, thank you so much. That, that means the world to me. Yeah. And, and all the mums out there that have, have been so concerned and it, it looks so bleak for a long time. Um, I'm so glad that I, I've been a part of this uh, ray of sunshine, I suppose, that's, that's beamed down and uh, given people hope. Yeah, it means so much to me. I'm, I'm so thankful. And thank you very much for joining me on my first edition of the Biological Woman's Hour. Cheers, Kira. Bye-bye. Thanks, Rosie. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Well, thank you very much to Kira Bell. Um, it won't surprise any of you to hear that there are tens of thousands of girls just like Kira being sucked into this cult and doing irreparable damage to their bodies. The only way we're going to fight this is through funding. We are going to need an entire army of warriors just like Kira. Uh, the way you can support my campaign is through becoming a member at Stanley for Women, Patreon, PayPal, Super Chats on my YouTube, and liking, sharing, and subscribing. This really is the most enormous and dishonest attack on women's rights, I'm sure, in any of our lifetimes. We might not win this war, but we are going to fight it. Until next time. Bye.